Well, good morning. This is the last talk in Going Pro the Playoffs, and uh, second time around for us doing Going Pro, as you probably know. We're going back to the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, and we're looking at wisdom that God wants us to know in order to be successful uh, in life. As a matter of fact, I, I don't think you'll find a place in the Bible where there is much, much, as much profound wisdom in such a small book as you'll find in Proverbs. Some of us, uh, I know uh, there was a, a stage in my life in which I was reading a proverb every day of the month. It kind of works out uh, to the right number of days, uh, except for February, but then you double up a little bit. It's kind of like taking double vitamins. It's good for you. So I would, you know, uh, but you read one every day of the month, and it really helps you to remain wise and to do things that are smart throughout the course of your life. But we're taking a specific path in this series, and that is we've been looking at something that, as you've heard us say a couple times already, we're looking at something called antithetic parallelisms. Um, and what those are, are truths in the book of Proverbs where you have two competing ideologies or life strategies or ways of approaching the world um, that kind of go against each other. And what the Bible tells us is that only one of these competing strategies gets to have success or gets to move forward. That's why we call it the playoffs. It's like in the playoffs where only one team gets to go on to the next game. So what our, our strategy has been in the series is to say, okay, well, how do we maximize what we can learn in the book of Proverbs? How do we leverage this truth to make sure that we experience the most success possible uh, in our lives? And in this, the last message of the series, we go to a kind of deep, sort of heavy place. And I hope you'll allow me to do that. And as a matter of fact, just to kind of give you some insight into what it's like preparing a message to bring in a, in a format like this, you know... Uh, my job is to take the topic, to open the scriptures, to look at what God says about it, and then to ask God, help me understand the message that you want me to bring. Now, sometimes that message has kind of a light feel to it, and, it, and, and it's kind of, we have some funny moments, and we go through some very lighthearted thoughts. This was not one of those weeks. Sometimes you have a week where you look at the material and you go, wow, not only is this heavy in the sense that this is kind of a heavy message to bring, but it's heavy for me personally. I look at it and I say, wow, God, you've really shown me some stuff that I need to be looking at in my own life. And so I ask you for the same permission that I wanted to give God this week. I ask you for the same permission to be heavy, to be able to go to some deep places, and to have permission to, to really workshop this in a way that maybe it will be productive for you as you leave. And I think that all of us know that this is a biggie, right? We know that the difference between truth and deception is a big thing. Some of you in this room have been really wounded by deception before. You've had someone be dishonest with you, maybe betray you, and you know what it's like to experience being on the receiving end of dishonesty. And we know that this is a big deal. It, it, it can shape career paths. It can shape the outcome of your, of your life, really. So I just want to start off by, by kind of stating what is sort of obvious, I think. But isn't it true that there's a disconnect in our world between what we say about honesty and what we really think about honesty, right? We tell our kids, don't ever tell a lie, right? Never, 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 never tell a lie. Like, I don't know if your house was like the Hoover household when I was growing up, but in the Hoover household, there were misdemeanors and there were felonies, right? There was stuff you could do and get in some major trouble, and there was stuff you could do and get minor trouble. Lying was a felony. You could get in some major trouble for lying, right? And the, the thought was, it is never okay to lie. You always tell the truth. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe you're in management, you, you, you know, in your workplace, maybe this has been a discussion that's, that, that's taken place. Because I think in this day and age, there is more information given out um, in, in 
the corporate world about how we should relate to one another and, and information and the management of information, confidentiality, all those sorts of things. And, and so it could be that when you went into orientation at your job, there was a whole segment of that that was about honesty in the workplace and how honesty is the right thing. It's the right policy. And I think we get that, and, and I think most of us would say that, that we, we would identify with that. Yeah, truth is the best thing. But isn't it true that we're kind of used to a little bit of dishonesty in our lives? We kind of accommodate it. We're sort of accustomed to it. We're sort of used to it. Maybe you've even had someone tell you before that there's good reasons sometimes to color the truth a little bit. Sometimes there's good reasons to be a little dishonest. One of my favorite stories growing up the pastors used to tell was about a, a, a manager and a clerk uh, that, uh, in, in, a, in a sales shop. I never remember what they were selling, but there's a clerk, and the clerk's talking to this lady customer, and the manager's kind of out of earshot, but he's watching, and, and uh, he sees this kind of prolonged conversation, so he steps out to find out what the clerk is saying to this customer, and here's what he hears him say. The clerk says, we haven't had any of that for weeks, and I don't think we're going to be getting any soon, right? The manager just goes up there, like hops right into the conversation and says, oh, wait, 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 wait. I promise you, we will have that in very soon. I just placed an order for it last Tuesday. It'll be here. You come in next week, and we'll get you all taken care of. The lady looked a little perplexed and walked out of the shop, and then he said to the clerk, he said, don't ever tell anybody that we're out of something. That is bad sales technique. You tell them we have it on order, and it will be here soon. Now, what was it that she wanted? And he said, boss, she was asking about rain. It was funnier in my head. Anyhow, um, <laughs> but isn't it true? Honestly, all those fibs we're accustomed to hearing, right? All the things that people say that we think, well, I heard them say that, but there's truth. You know, there's a certain skepticism that we approach life with. You walk on a car lot with a certain skepticism. You approach a contract with a certain skepticism. You listen to your teenager's story of how the car got wrecked with a certain skepticism, right? We listen for the real truth. But isn't it true, and this is, the, this is the part that was tough for me as I was looking at this message this week. I had to look at myself and say, Jonathan, isn't it true that you've given people a reason to be skeptical before? Haven't I done that? Haven't I colored the truth? Haven't I told fibs? Little white lies, color the truth a little bit. Why? To, to, to keep everything on an even keel, to keep everything afloat, to keep people from being mad, to keep people from being angry, to hide things. Haven't I given people a reason to be skeptical? But maybe, maybe, and I, and, 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 and well, let me break the sentence here. Isn't it true that this is so much a part of our culture, the idea that something less than total honesty is normal? Isn't it true that this is so much a part of our culture that Hollywood has really cashed in on this, Right? Have you noticed how many movies there are about what if nobody in the world could lie? What if one person who lied a lot all of a sudden couldn't lie? This plot has been done over and over and over again. Why? Because even Hollywood gets that 100% accuracy, 100% honesty in our world isn't normal. And so I think all of us, we come to a point where we start to accept a little bit of dishonesty as normal. And maybe when we open the pages of the book of Proverbs, because Proverbs is a very savvy book, it's a very bottom line kind of book. It's not flowery. There's not a lot of poetic language here. I mean, it's certainly biblical poetry, but really it's very down-to-earth, real-life stuff. So maybe as we open the book of Proverbs, God is going to help us understand how much dishonesty is normal 
And how much dishonesty is really bad? Where is the line? How much dishonesty does God say, well, that's pretty much okay because that's just a fib or a white lie or whatever. How much is going to be on the okay side and how much is going to be on the bad side? So we open the book of Proverbs and we find out. We look and see what does God say about lying? And here it is, Proverbs 12, 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. That's pretty heavy. Then look at this, Proverbs eleven twenty. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts or deceptive hearts, but he delights in those with integrity or who live in a culture of honesty. So two things, just from those two verses, that strike me immediately, and I don't know if it really kind of came across to you. Number one is, it appears that God does not accept any level of dishonesty as normal, it seems. But the other one, this is the one that really got me as I was studying this. The other one is, think about how personal these statements are. It's personal. I mean, you look through the book of Proverbs, and there's all of this existential cause and effect kind of stuff where the Bible says a person who does this is going to have this happen to him. A person who follows this path in life is going to end up at this destination. A person who deals with this kind of challenge is going to end up here. It's all very cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. And then we get to Proverbs 12, and the Bible says the Lord detests lying lips. That's an emotion. To detest something is an emotion. And then we see later on in the book of Proverbs that that. That lying makes it onto the list of seven things God hates. And hate is an emotion. So what is so personal about this? Why does God take lying so personally? Why does he go that far out to say, I detest dishonesty? Well, in order to kind of get there, what we need to do, we're going to take a little bit of a trek outside the book of Proverbs. By the time we're done with the message, we'll come back inside. But to understand why God feels about dishonesty so personally, we have to talk about the backstory to what's going on in this world in which we live. The Bible says that in, in, in behind everything that we can see and everything that's very clear that we know, there is this unseen battle that's taking place behind the scenes. And we read about this in Ephesians 6.12. The Bible says we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, the biggest battle ever rages on between God and Satan. It continues to rage on. And we, we find ourselves in the middle of that battle. God wants to have a relationship with us. Satan could care less about us, but he wants to use us to get at God. And that begins to open up the story of why this is so personal. Here's what I want to do. I want to take you to John 8, 44, and I want you to hear what Jesus says about Satan. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there, look at this, there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we begin to see the coaches of these two teams emerge. On the truth team, the coach of the truth team is God. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth. God is the coach of the truth team, and Satan is the coach of the deception team. Jesus said, he, he, when he lies, it's consistent with his character because he's a liar and the father of lies. Now, when you hear those words of Jesus... It kind of makes you think, I don't know if it makes you think this, but I kind of tend to think, well, there's got to be a backstory here. Have you ever had anybody introduce someone to you, and the way they introduced them told you there was a backstory, right? Like when I was in college, 
Um, and I, I had first gotten there. It was my first week on campus. My roommate was a, a, um, a upperclassman, and he was doing me the favor of taking me around campus and introducing, kind of showing me the buildings, introducing me to people. And he said, oh, you know, here's Dr. So-and-so. He's on the administration. Here's Dr. So-and-so. You'll probably end up having them for New Testament. There's David. He lives down the hall about four doors from us. You'll see him in prayer group. Oh, and there's Susie. She's the heartless ice queen man-hater uh, crazy lady. And then there's, and I, you want to go, whoa, stop, 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 stop. There's something that you're not telling me, right? There's a backstory here. So when, when Jesus says about Satan that he is a liar and the father of lies and that lying is consistent with his character, you have to know there's a backstory behind this. And to get that backstory, we have to turn all the way to the beginning of the Bible back to Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, what you have is God has placed Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. He's placed them in the Garden of Eden, and this was what God's intention was for man. He wanted to have a great relationship with man, and on top of that, he wanted man to be in a perfect environment. God never intended for human beings to live in the broken environment that we live in. People, people come to me sometimes and say, Jonathan, is what I'm going through the result of God you know, coming after me? Did God intend for me to live with the pain and the sorrow that I'm dealing with right now? No, God intended for human beings to live in a perfect environment. And you have to understand, that was at the core of his design. And yet something messed with that design. Well, what was it that messed with that design? Folks, it all started with a lie. It all started with a lie. We go back to Genesis uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now keep in mind, remember that God has said you can eat from any of the, the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. The one you can't eat from is the one in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You cannot eat the fruit of that tree. If you do, then you will surely die. This is a very direct statement from God. And as is the case with anything God tells you, it's complete truth. But then Satan comes in and says, did God really say, and by the way, notice Satan's already messing with the truth. Did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? And Eve said, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now watch, here comes the barrage of lies. Line number one, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. Lie number two, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. Lie number three, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You know the rest of the story. Eve took of the fruit, then she gave the fruit to Adam. Adam took of the fruit, and by the time the whole thing was done, our world in a split second was broken. Because our ancestors, Adam and Eve, turned the keys of authority to this world from God and handed those keys over to Satan. So when you start to hear, when God says something like, I detest lying lips, and you wonder, why does he take it so personally? You have to realize that his original goal was to have a completely intimate relationship with every single one of us in a way that he could bless us in a perfect environment. And a lie came in and messed the whole thing up. No wonder he takes it personally. Look at the lies that Satan told Adam and Eve. Lie number one was, you won't die. How many of us have had Satan at some point come to us and say, the consequences of doing this will not be that bad? You can do this. The bottom line is, probably nobody will find out. And even if somebody does find out, what are they going to do? It's not going to be that bad. I do a lot of couples relationship coaching, not as much as I used to, but I still do quite a bit. And I've had so many men sitting across from me in my office saying, 
you know, there was something in the back of my mind. I knew that this was wrong before I did it. I knew it was wrong, but I kept thinking to myself, somehow everything will work out anyway. It's not going to be that bad. You know, I didn't realize that I was going to end up losing my family. I didn't realize I was going to end up losing my job. I didn't realize all these things were going to happen, and I want to go, buddy, the lie Satan was telling you is not a new one. The lie that the consequences are not going to be that bad, that lie's been around since day one. Lie number two, check this out. Right after Satan said, you won't die, he said, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And I think this one really gets us, because he said, Satan basically said, the only way for you to get fair is to break the rules. Life isn't fair. Can I get a witness on that, right? Life is not fair. This is a number one point of entry for Satan into your life because Satan will come to you and he will use something that is true to leverage a lie. It is true that life is not fair, but it is a lie to say that you have to break the rules to make things be fair. In a world in which everyone breaks the rules to make things be fair, all you have is not fair squared. And he comes to Adam and Eve and says, you want fair? You should break the rules. Tax season's coming up. Some of you feel where I'm going with this. There are going to be a few of us going to be tempted to write some numbers in that are not 100% accurate because it seems like, well, I'm just making things fair. I'm just evening things out, you know. It's, and we have this sense of justice that's like, well, if, if I, you know, I know I may be doing the wrong thing, but actually what I'm doing is I'm bringing about the right thing. What a, what a way to end up in big trouble. How many of us have learned that breaking the rules does not make anything fair? But that's what Satan came... And then here's the third thing. Satan said, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. Third lie is this, because what you will get is worth it. I, when I do couples coaching, I've, I've talked to guys who tell me, you know, I know I'm probably getting ready to lose my family, but she makes me so happy, Right? She says to me, Jonathan, you don't understand. He listens to me. He understands me. Forget the fact that he doesn't understand his wife who's at home, but that's a whole other thing. We'll go that on a different day, right? Because what I will get is worth it. How many of us have learned because we have life smarts and we've done it and we've been there and we have the t-shirt. We know that when we break the rules, it does not make it better. What we got wasn't worth it. See, those are the three lies. And, and when you begin to think about the fact that, the, that God Almighty, he understood that the consequences would be that big. He understood that it wasn't going to make things fair. And he understood that what they were going to get by doing this was definitely not worth it. No wonder the God of the universe says, I take lying personally. Lies stole the thing that I wanted to have a relationship with. Lies are lies. I detest lies. So it begins to make sense. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Those big consequences. Nobody in this room will ever mess up as big as Adam and Eve. You say, well, Jonathan, they just ate a piece of fruit. I mean, I've done some stuff that's really not cool. Yeah, well, you haven't done something that has opened up the floodgates to dysfunction in the entire world in which we live. You will never do anything as wrong as what Adam and Eve did. But the thing about it was it all started with a lie. And you say, well, you know what, Jonathan, I'm getting a little confused here. Because you said this was going to be a talk about honesty versus dishonesty. You're talking about Satan trying to get me tripped up and do, do something I shouldn't do. Those are two different things. No, no, no. They are very, very deeply interrelated. It is as though 
in the framework of the universe, there are two opposing teams. Think about it this way. If I were to draw a line down the stage and there were were two teams represented, on this side is the truth team. And on the truth team, what you have is you have honesty, complete honesty. Everything's out on the table. And it is fully the truth, not just the truth. It is the whole truth. But over on this side, you have the deception team. And the deception team is a place where truth is secondary to convenience. It's secondary to financial gain. It's secondary to image. And God is over here. And we know that. God is on the truth team, right? He's the coach of the truth team. But Satan is over here, and he's the coach of the deception team. And what Satan wants, remember I said originally that God wanted to have a relationship with Adam and Eve. That's why he put them there in the first place. What Satan wants is he desperately wants to get you from over there, over here. Satan wants to get you off the truth team and on the deception team. And let me tell you how he does it. He will tempt you to do something wrong that you will have to hide. That is how he will get you on the deception team. He will tempt you to make a bad choice, to make a mistake, to do something wrong that then you will need to hide. And that is exactly what he did to Adam and Eve. If you look in Genesis 3, verse 7, the Bible says, at that moment when they ate of the fruit, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They felt that impulse. Shame is the impulse that says, I need to hide. And they felt that I need to hide impulse. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, which is... Not a particularly comfortable garment. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. They were over here, the Bible says, so they did what? They hid. They came over on the deception side. They had shame. They hid. God wanted to have a relationship with them. Now, all of a sudden, they are distancing themselves from God. And they love God, and God loves them. But they're over on the deception team. See, that's... Let me just break a sentence here and say, that's, that is what is odd about this whole thing, right? Because if I were to say, okay, guys, let's take a poll. Of everybody in this room, would you rather be on the truth team or would you rather be on the deception team? I don't think that'd be a hard choice. I think just about everybody in this room would say, well, I'd rather be on the truth team. Because there is something intuitively that we get, that we understand that being on the truth team means freedom. It means a clean conscience, It means being able to live without looking behind you or checking your story or any of that stuff. You can just be you. Your identity is over there. And yet, when we do things that are not okay, we find ourselves being on the side we don't want to be on. See, that was the thing about Adam and Eve. They were on God's team. And now, and here's what I want you to think about. After they did what they shouldn't have done, now they are playing for a team that they don't even like. And so often that happens to us. We find ourselves over here. We don't even want to be over here. We want to be over there. But there's consequences. When we do something wrong, there's consequences. And we don't want to face that. We feel that impulse that says, I need to hide. We feel that shame impulse. And we move away from God instead of moving towards him. By the way, this hiding impulse, right, or covering up, that's not something you have to teach your kids, is it? I remember when I was growing up, you know, mom and dad would say, you didn't have a second cookie, did you, right? Because only one cookie for dessert. You remember we said one cookie for dessert. Did you have a second cookie? And then in the brilliant mind of the child, you say something like, I don't think so. (laughs) Right? You don't have to teach your kids to cover. This is something that comes naturally. 
See, Satan, when he gets you to, to make bad choices, there's a very specific strategy he's pulling. Because he knows if he can get you to hide, he can get you away from the God that you love. And he can, he can create distance. I studied this passage this week, and, and I, I don't have anything tremendously wrong in my life that if I were to get up here and say these are the things that I feel like I struggle with in my Christian walk, it's not like it was something that would disqualify, disqualify me from the ministry or have you gasping. But yet, probably like most of you, there's stuff in my Christian life that I wish wasn't there. There's stuff in my life that I, I look at and I say, you know what, these are the things that cause me to want to hide. These are the things that cause me to be ashamed of myself that keep me sometimes on this side. And I wanted, when I looked at the scriptures this week, if more than anything, I just wanted to be able to see in the pages of the Bible some help for those moments of shame. What can I take from the scriptures, especially in Proverbs, that is going to help me make a smart decision when I'm over here, but I don't want to be over here, I want to be over there. What's going to help me make a smart decision to get back and be close with God the way God wants me to be and the way, truthfully, in my heart, I want to be as well? And so these are truths, they're personal for me because they were helpful for me, but I want to share them with you and maybe they'll be helpful. So in those moments, when we feel that I need to cover up reflex and we find ourselves hiding from God, there's a few things that we need to be aware of, a few things we need to know, and we'll be done this morning after we cover those. Here's the first one. Whatever it is that you're hiding, God already knows. God already knows. The worst thing you've ever done in your entire life, God already knows. The entire list of regrets that you have from your lifetime, God already knows. The biggest lie you've ever told, God already knows. The Bible says in Proverbs 15:3, the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Hebrews 4:13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. See, God sees through the hiding. I mean, you think about this. Adam and Eve cover up with fig leaves, hide in the trees. The fig leaves that God created, the trees that God created, and yet somehow they think that God is not going to know what they've done. And I've done this too. I've gotten on my knees before God and, and, and tried to talk to God as though nothing was wrong. When I knew in my heart there was stuff that was wrong, but I was hiding it. But somehow I thought... That God, somehow I would allow myself to think that God didn't know. But the truth is, God does know. But here's the powerful thing. Think about this. Knowing everything that you've ever done, every mistake that you've ever made, think about the powerful fact that it's not been anything so big that God has walked away from you. You've never done anything big enough to make God walk away. And here's what's really cool. Unlike everybody else in your life, God already knows everything you're going to do. So God knows everything you have done, God knows everything you're going to do, and he's still there. I mentioned the work that I do with couples. Sometimes I'll have a couple come in my office and their marriage is really in trouble. And one of them will tell me what they've done, why their marriage is in such crisis. And yet I get the privilege of looking back at them and say, yeah, but they're still here. 
They came in my office with you. They sat on the couch with you. You may be in trouble. I get that, but they're still here. They must love you a lot. They must feel a connection to you. There must be something there because both of you are here. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. And that's what I need to turn back and tell myself. Jonathan, listen, you've messed up. Sure, you've made mistakes, but he's still there. He knows what you're going to do next. And he's still there. Why is it so important for us to realize this? Proverbs 5, 21 and 22 says this. The Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. That's what we've been talking about. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. Let me tell you something about Satan. He is a blackmailer. He's a blackmailer. He will take what you have done wrong, which he tempted you to do in the first place. He will take what you have done wrong, and he will use it as ropes to tie you up and to hold you back, and to haul you out of the truth, and to haul you into deception, and to hold you back and say, you can't approach God with that. If you approach God with that, he would reject you. He would be mad at you. He would hate you. If you, if you embrace the truth, he would never want to be your God anymore, and it would just be you all by yourself. And Satan is telling those stories, but they're lies because he's the father of lies, and when he lies, it's consistent with his character. He's only using it as blackmail to keep you back from God, but just so you know, God already knows. So it's like when God says, look, the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. It is as though God is over on the truth side saying, just so you know, he doesn't have anything on you. He doesn't have anything on you. You can come on over. I already know about it. Wow, what a powerful thought. If we could just embrace the fact that God loves us even though we've made mistakes, even though we've done wrong things, and we could turn back at Satan and say, buddy, these ropes you're using to hold me back aren't any bigger than the God who has saved me from those ropes, and if it's all the same to you, I think I'll just go back on over to the truth side. John 8, 31 and 32, we, we sang about this in the worship service. Jesus is my liberty. Look at this. In verse 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth. And the truth will do what? It'll set you free. From what? From the ropes. The truth sets you free from the ropes. How many of you in this room, you know as parents that when your child lies to you, you do not hate that child You do not detest that child. What you hate is the fact that the dishonesty that exists between the two of you has put distance between you. And until they're honest with you, you cannot be close to them. You know what that's like. It is not that you have some sort of issue with them. You just want them to come and be honest with you. And that's what God has asked from us. Late 80s, I think. Somebody will correct me on this after the weekend. I think it was late 80s. There was a movie that came out and uh, pretty well known generated some one-liners that are still part of our pop culture, I suppose. And it was a kind of a courtroom drama. And in the courtroom drama, the attorney said to the person on the witness stand, I want answers. I want the truth. And they said, what? You can't handle the truth, right? What a great line. Can I tell you in my own personal life, what a lot of times keeps me on the deception side and not on the truth side is the fact that there is a little voice inside that says you can't handle the truth. If you were to face everything about who you are, it would be too much for you. If the people in your life were to face everything about who you are and what you do, it would be too much. It would be too much for your family. 
Maybe, maybe you think, well, if I were to face everything about me and be 100% honest, it would be too much for my family. It would be too much for my coworkers. It would be too much for my boss. I, I, I just couldn't do that because I can't handle the truth, and they can't handle the truth. Well, you're right about that. You can't handle the truth. I can't handle the truth. But the message of the word of God, please listen, the message of the word of God is exactly that. You can't handle the truth, but God can. God can handle all the truth about who you are and what you've done and where you've been. It doesn't matter how deep and how significant it is. God can handle the truth. See, the thing about it is, you see Jonathan as a pastor, but I know all my faults and I know my flaws and I know that I'm, I, I am nowhere any more near perfect than anybody in this room. And I know that I cannot handle the truth of who I am, but I serve a God who sent his son to this earth to die on the cross to pay for all the truth in my life so that then I can approach the truth because everything that I've done was swallowed up in the mercy and the grace and the victory of the cross so that when Jesus rose again, it was as though he beckoned me back to him and said, you can't handle the truth, but I just did. Amen. Satan's a blackmailer. He just wants to keep you away. Say, Jonathan, but there's a part of this you still haven't dealt with. See, I know you might say, Jonathan, I know if I were to be 100% honest, there would be consequences. There would be a price to pay for being honest. You haven't told me, Jonathan, how God is going to help me avoid the consequences. You haven't told me how God is going to help me not have to pay the price for being completely honest. And I need to tell you in full disclosure, there is not a way to avoid the consequences. When you take something that has been in the dark and you bring it out into the light, usually there are consequences. That's part of the cause and effect nature of the world in which we live. But here's what, here's what I want to share with you before, before we go. When we embrace the truth, there are consequences. But we serve a God of mercy. And his redemption and his mercy and his ability to bless you on the truth side is bigger than any consequences you will experience. See, God is a God of process. God is a God of order. So in the Bible, when we read verses about the fact that we mess up, God always says, look, yes, I, I, I mess up. And then I accept the truth about myself. I accept the truth about the fact that I messed up. And I, and, and I own up to it. Then there are consequences for what I've done. And then there is mercy. And the mercy makes up for all of that. Let me show you a couple of verses from the Bible that, that talk about this. Proverbs 28, 13. I told you we'd get back to Proverbs. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. So people who live on the deception side will not move forward, right? But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. We're living on the deception side. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Psalm 32, 5. This is David speaking of his own sin. King David. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. That is the voice of a person saying, I'm going to tell Satan that he can't blackmail me anymore because God already knows, and I'm going to go agree with God that what he knows about me is true. And then he said, when I did that, you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. See, there's a process. The story of the Bible was a lie. 
and then there was the truth. There are consequences. Hey, we, we feel that every day of our life. But there is redemption. There is mercy. So we work our way back to Proverbs 12, where we started, where it says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Why is that? It's not because God hates people who tell lies. If that was the case, I'd be in a lot of trouble. It's because God hates blackmail. It's because God does not have any tolerance for anything that keeps you away from him when all he wanted in the beginning was to have a relationship with you in the first place. God says, don't buy into the lies. Don't buy into that way of doing things. Don't play on that team. You don't want to be there anyway, so why play on that team? Come across the line. Deal with the consequences. Receive the mercy and be free. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you are truth. In a world where so, much, so often it's so difficult to know what to believe, thank you for being the one thing we can always believe in and the one thing that we can always recognize is true. And I pray that you will help each of us to examine our hearts. Help us see where the dishonesty is. Help us see where we are not living free and living close to you. And I pray that you would help us to embrace the truth to say, I won't be blackmailed anymore, and to live in your light. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. I talked briefly a few moments ago about the fact that Jesus came and died on a cross. Why? So that there would be redemption, so that there could be mercy after there was failure. You say, Jonathan, I, I don't have a relationship with God, but I need that mercy. I, I need forgiveness, and I want to put my trust in him. I want to have a future in heaven and I want to be able to put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to say the words to a very simple prayer. And you have to know my verbiage isn't the important thing. What's important is what you feel in your heart towards God. And if you want to have a relationship with him, you can start that relationship right now just by reaching out to him and accepting his free gift. I'm going to voice this prayer. You can follow along. You can say this, this prayer silently in your head to God. And if you do, it'll be settled once and for all. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. There's some stuff in my life that I've done wrong. It keeps me away from you. But I won't be blackmailed anymore. I ask you to, to forgive me. And I ask you to make me God's child. I put my faith and trust in only you. In Jesus' name. Amen.